We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 100 this morning. And taking a look at um, serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord, as we look at Psalm 100, this is probably one of the most popular um, sections of psalms uh, throughout church history. This is one that would have been sung and sung many times. It would have often been a call to worship as they were inviting people to worship the Lord or inviting people to sing. They would have opened with Psalm 100. And within this five verses, uh, we have several calls to action and implications and imperatives that we are to do. And so as far as um, writing out what is it God wants us to do, you'll not see it any more clear than you will see it in Psalm 100 of what God is calling us to do. The psalmist is inviting us to do. It's very clear um, what we are instructed to do. And not only do you see a, a, a passage, uh, a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of praise, as in a way of a song, you have a deep, theologically rich uh, set of verses here. And so as we look at not only what God is calling us to do, uh, um, who is God, who are, who's called to do that, who should be doing these things, what we should be doing, how we should be doing them, but who we should be praising and worshiping. All of those things matter. All those things are very important. And as we ask ourselves today, why do we sing? You ever thought about that? Why do we come to church and why do we sing? Do people just like to sing? I mean, we do like music as a culture, as a whole. We like music. Music has always been a part of history. There's always some sort of song that's sort of mentioned uh, throughout the, the text of the Old Testament. They would turn and sing to the Lord. Uh, but we see here the reasons that we sing, the reasons that we worship, and the reasons that we serve. And as we're thinking about this series, we've been talking about serving, and last week we talked about the stewardship of serving and serving Christ and Christ alone and, and looking at all those things, and, and we're doing them for the sake of God. We turn and look, and Psalm 100 is just sort of continuing that thought process that we are to serve God and it is for God and for God alone. So let us take a look at Psalm 100. It's in your uh, bulletin if you want to look there as well. We're beginning in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve, with serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look at this text this morning, Father, we pray that we would present that in a way that is true to the intent 
of the audience and the author had when it was penned. Help us to, to, speak, to be able to speak and to share with integrity and humbleness this morning, pointing to Christ, exalting the name of the Lord. Father, help us as, as a people, as the family of God, to take this passage and to take it seriously. God, to look and examine our own hearts and how we are living and how we are entering into your presence, how we are serving, if we're serving at all. God, you remind us of the greatness and the goodness of your character, your great power, and your love, and your faithfulness. Remind us of who you are, that we might follow you more closely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's begin, let's begin looking at this, this verse. We're just sort of going to walk through this verse and, and look at all the aspects of it. There are several ways that we could sort of outline this passage. We could, we could look at all of the, the calls to action, and, and then there's sort of this central theme, and, and, then, uh, and then there are more calls to action in the last part, last few verses. We could also look at this uh, passage as, um, here's what we're to do. And here's why we're to do that. But I, I want to sort of take it this direction. I, I sort of want to look at who is, who is it that is called to give thanks? Who is it that's called to serve? Who is, who is being invited to worship the Lord? So that's sort of the first question that we're going to answer. And that is the whole earth is called to serve. We see that in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. So this is a call of invitation for everyone on the earth, believers and non-believers, to come and to worship the Lord. So the invitation is for everyone. And so not just people, but all of creation would join in the song of praise to the Lord. So this invitation is for everyone. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every child, every religion, every nation, every ethnicity, every language, every uh, uh, country and village is called, the invitation is for everyone to join in the praises of our God. And so this psalm is addressing all the earth, and it's a very uh, familiar theme all throughout the book of Psalms. You see this repeated over and over and over. Praise the Lord, all those who dwell in the Lord. You also see it in Psalm 96. Uh, declare his glory among the nations. So this is something that God is longing for and will happen. This is something that will happen uh, as we are around the throne of God. There will be a representative of every nation, every tribe around the throne of God. So God is calling all people to worship him. So this is not just an American invitation. This is not just a Glasgow, Kentuckian, Southern thing. This is a call for all people, for all generations, and for all types of people to come and to worship him. So it's, it's more of a rhetorical statement, but at the same time, it's a universal because God longs to, 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 be a, to have universal worship and universal reign. And that's what he enjoys. He enjoys the praises of his people. So we see that the whole earth is called to serve. We also see something else even more specific because we know um, that not all of the earth is worshiping God at this moment. We know that. 
Uh, we, we know that not everyone is seeking to praise and bring glory and honor to God. But what is this particular passage? As the psalmist was writing this, who was he writing it to? So we've got to look at who was he writing it to. And of course, he was writing it to the people of Israel. This, this psalm was written to the, the people of Israel. And if you know anything about the Old Testament and the history, God, is, God had made a covenant with the people of Israel, said that I will be your God and you will be my people. So God was not really shared among other people, but God is always trying to make the Israelites realize that he's the God of all, not just them, but he's the God of all. And so the Israelites, yes, are following. God is committed to the people of Israel because we see that in verse 3. We see that at the end of verse 3, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So again, it's, it, it's sort of taking the assumption that, of course, that's not talking about the entire world. That is talking specifically about those who are of the people of Israel. Now, we need to understand this is good news for us, even if you're not an Israeli, okay? Even if you were not a Jew or you're not of uh, Israeli descendant, this still encompasses believers, because we see that God is inviting us. See, we are, the, his, we are his people. We are the sheep of his pastures. So the Lord is, is personally uh, uh, pastoring them. He, he's, he's shepherding them. So he's not delegating this to somebody else. We are the sheep of his pasture. That God is himself leading us and, and, and we are following him. And so we'll take a look more about what it means to be a part of this, but this is for Jews and Gentiles. This is for those who are outside of the Israeli family that God is inviting us into his family. This is good news for you and I. This is good news for us Gentiles that God is inviting us into that verse 3, that we are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So God is not just inviting the whole earth, but he's specifically inviting those who are his people to come and to serve. Those are calling to come and worship him and to bring praise. So let's, let's keep going here as we look at this passage because th there's a lot in here that as we read Psalm 100 just makes the modern person uncomfortable. Right? Maybe, maybe you're a guy this morning and you read this and you're like, yeah, I don't know about all this, right? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, serve him with gladness, come in with singing. Yeah, I don't know. And the very thought about heaven sometimes like takes you back. It does not excite you because you're picturing, I'm going to have to stand and sing the whole time. That does not excite me, right? And so maybe that's you. But I want us to look at what it is God is calling us to and how he's calling us. Because this will hopefully maybe change everything as you're coming into the presence of the Lord to worship, even on a Sunday morning, may change your perspective on how and why you are called to serve. So there's seven different verbs in these five passages, seven different imperatives and calls to action. So we see make, make a joyful noise. God is calling us to make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him. So all of these things, God, it, it, it's very clear. What are we to do? We are to make a joyful noise. So let's look at that first. Make a joyful noise. 
Now, it does not make, it does not say make a joyful tune, okay, an on-key tune, okay? It says a make a joyful noise. I like that, right? Because I'm going to tell you what's coming out of my mouth is noise, okay? It is, it is not on key. It is not always uh, in the right pitch or whatever you want to call it, but it's a joyful noise. God is calling us to come without restraint before the Lord. As we come to Him, oftentimes we want to make sure that as we are singing, we're singing in a certain way without making too big a deal out of all this, right? And so we just want to enjoy this morning. We just want to come in and enjoy. And so we're just going to sing. But we're not going to sing too loud. We're not going to sing. We're not going to give too much because we, we want to enjoy it. And, and, and I just, I can't help but think. I, I really can't help but think. And I, I really don't like to, to always make these comparisons because uh, oftentimes we can come with... Uh, um, unintended shame and that's not what I'm trying to do this morning but I'm just going to remind you um, a year ago we were at the uh, AT&T Stadium and Dallas Cowboys were were um, absolutely destroying the Jaguars and there were there were almost a hundred thousand people in this place I mean it's just absolutely crazy you could not hear yourself think it was it was absolute blast. I mean, it was a blast being in there and being able just to enjoy that moment. But nobody was holding back. Nobody was like, yay. Yes. Right? I mean, people were high-fiving. Every people were high-fiving. People you didn't even know, right? It was the whole place was screaming the top of their lungs. They were letting everything they had out. There was no restraint. And again, I, I get it. If you just started coming in here and just started going crazy, people are going to look at you, right? Because everybody else, we, we all have sort of this understood of how we're all going to worship God. And when somebody gets out of line, we all like, what's their problem? And so we're, that's just sort of how we are as we come into the presence. But God is saying, make a joyful noise. What he's saying is that when we sing unto the Lord, that we're not concerned about what other people are thinking about us. That we're not concerned about all of these things. But we're only concerned about making a joyful noise to the Lord. That is something that is within us. It takes an effort. So to make something has to come forth an effort. And that's what worship is. Worship is, is to be involved and to be a part of worship. We have to uh, take an effort. We have to make this. This is something that we have to produce, that we have to make unto the Lord. So that's what, what it is. Martin Luther says, music is to be praised as second only to the word of God, because by her all the emotions are swayed. That is why there are so many songs and psalms. This precious gift has been bestowed on men alone to remind them that they are created to praise and magnify the Lord. So as we oftentimes, as, as maybe you're, maybe you're this, here this morning and you're looking for a church and a place to, to land. You're looking for a place to get con- connected and committed. And I would say the number one thing that you need to be looking for anytime, and as, as you are a member here at Calvary, you're already here and you're saying, what are the most important things? It's how we handle the Word of God. That's one of the most important things is how we handle the Word of God. If we are not handling the Word of God with integrity and with truthfulness and we're not staying on the text and what the Bible is actually teaching and actually preaching, and it's not pointing to Christ, that we're, that we're astray. 
And one of the, but, but oftentimes, many people will go and look. They'll look for, maybe they'll look for the children's ministry, something that connects with their kids, and that's fine. But a lot of times, people are looking for the music. Like, is it their style? Do they like the music? Do they like the, 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 the style of the worship and the songs that they sing? And, and really, that's secondary to what is preached and taught. And not only, not only is the style secondary, but it's the type of songs that we sing. It's, it's the songs that we're singing, are they truthful songs pointing to a sovereign God who is singing Scripture? And so I hope as you mature, and the reason I say this is because we have some of the best believers here at Calvary. And I really mean that because... I have seen an older generation, uh, when we first started coming, just sort of put their preference on the side and say, I want to reach people for the gospel, and the style of music is not as important as long as we're worshiping God. And they they set that aside. I've I've heard that from many folks saying, the style is not as important as long as we're being true to God's word as we sing in spirit and in truth. And so again, it's not about style, but but music is such a powerful thing. Music is such an important thing to us as a culture because it it moves our emotions. And so God is inviting us to worship him with emotion. That's why he's calling us to sing. So it's not just enough just to, to recite the verses back to God, but to sing them to God. And you begin, to, you begin to pull out your emotions when you begin to sing. You begin to, to pull out all these things. And oftentimes that's why we're sort of reserved when it comes to singing. Because we begin to have these feelings and these emotions. And we don't want to let all those emotions out. And so we sort of hold them back in. But God is calling us, inviting us, that he cares about the whole. He's not just concerned about your heart. And your mind, but even your emotions, God cares about. So as we sing, we, we, we should be moved with emotion, but not empty emotion. Right? Not empty emotion. Not empty movement. Because music has just a powerful way of just moving us, even if, it has, even if we're singing about nothing. It, just, it has that effect on us. Right? I mean, you can be listening to a country song, and you got chill bumps. Okay, so it's it's not always just so it's so important that we allow these things to move us. But we need to make sure why is this moving us? Why is this pulling my emotions? And it's okay if it pulls your emotions. Why? Because it should. And God is commanding us to make a joyful noise. So we'll look at in just a minute on the why, which I think is so important as we enter into worship, because I'm just going to tell you who can sing about something which you've never really seen, you've never really experienced. So how can you give yourself in worship to the Lord truly until you've truly experienced the Lord? It's hard. Let's keep going into a couple of things. The second thing, so let's make a joyful noise. Verse two, the second thing is serve the Lord. So the serve really means um, to work and serve, sort of a work-serve. But it, and really in the greater context, this means to worship. So when we serve, when we say, I will serve, it's, a, it's an act of worship. 
So whether you're uh, changing diapers and you're serving the Lord in that capacity, that is an act of worship. And I know you may say, well, that's not an act. How is that an act of worship? Because you're doing it unto the Lord. And so service is sort of becoming unto him and saying, I will serve and let that be an act of worship. And so it's important that we view how when we serve the Lord, not as, not as just a duty, but a, an act of worship. And so God is saying, this is so important. This is so important as we understand more and more about who God is, because God is not just a, a, an evil tyrant who's demanding us to come and sing to him, who's saying, serve me. But notice how he's asking. He's saying, serve the Lord with gladness. He wants us to desire it. He wants us to want to serve him. That's the type of God that we have, that God cares about our emotions. God cares about our feelings and all of these things. He does not want us to dread it or to begrudge it or to resent the Lord. But God is inviting us to worship him with gladness. And that's, that's exactly what God is. So this, this verb is implying as we serve the Lord that it's for God's sake and not for ours. But in the process of serving the Lord, he wants us to enjoy that. He wants us to enjoy that. God, does not, God is not satisfied if we bring him an offering or bring him a sacrifice if we are begrudging unto the Lord. But God only enjoys it when we truly are enjoying it. What that means is God cares about you. We, we serve the Lord. We don't serve ourselves, but God cares about how we serve. And so this, is, this, this sort of is an act of worship, and it indicates a deeper relationship that we have with God. As we serve the Lord, as we worship Him, these are more than just worship, but it's about having a deep relationship with God. You see, Israel uh, failed to keep the first commandment, that you shall have no other gods before me. Israel failed time and time and time again, right? They're known for worshiping the Baals of that time. And, and this psalm is reminding the people to come and to serve him. And so we see this serve and worship interchangeable. We'll see it in Joshua 24. Joshua saying, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether, your God, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So this idea, this, this uh, particular uh, verb, serve, is that we are worshiping God, that we're putting him first above all other gods, that we're committed to him, that we're, 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 um, we're coming in and we are serving the Lord, that we're serving God. And, and, and I think it's so important as we look at this again, that we come in with joy. So the joyful noise we see in verse 1 and in verse 2 with gladness. Serve with joy. Charles Spurgeon says that our happy God should be worshipped by happy people. You know, God is, God is a happy God. God is a joyful God. He's not bored. He's not depressed. He's not exhausted. He's, he's not tired of you. He is happy. He is joyful. And the Lord desires us to be 
joyful in his presence. In other words, when we come into his presence, that, listen, that does not mean that we're always perky. That's not what that says. That, that some of you guys, some of y'all are exhausted at the thought of that. You have to come in just super perky all the time. And you say, especially in the morning, I just don't know that I got it in me. But the, 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 the heart of it is that you desire to be in the presence of God. You want to be in his presence. And that's what God wants. You want to bring him praise. You want to serve him. You want to obey him. Psalm 32 verse 11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So as we think about this, as we think about all of these things, it involve a submission of our whole self. Everything that we are it is when we worship, God wants everything about us. And so the shouting for joy includes our mouth. That God wants these things. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So God is saying, delight yourself in the Lord. Want him, desire him. God is, is wanting you to want him. So it's not just enough that you just do what he says, but it's obedience out of a sincere heart. Tom Schreiner says, praising God is the goal of human life and the goal of every living thing. The goal of all creation is to worship and praise God. Paul also says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul wrote that while he was in prison. So there wasn't an excitement like, he wasn't like, man, this is great. I love this. This is awesome. I couldn't have pictured a better place to be than in prison. No, I'm sure he hated it. So, so I, I, we're not talking a, about a false uh, affront before the Lord coming in, and you don't feel it, but you're just going to do it anyway. God is inviting you that you would, you would learn to find the joy, just as Paul did, to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Because the opposite of joy is not suffering. The opposite of joy is misery in suffering. The opposite of joy is, is, is depression. The opposite of joy is, is, um, is work. You view it as a job. And I hope that as you're growing in the Lord, that you may say, you know what, I have been viewing serving in Awana or serving in the nursery or serving as a deacon more as a job. I just sort of do it because I'm expected to do it. It's my responsibility. But the Lord is inviting you. He wants you to serve him, yes. But he cares about how you serve him. That you would serve him with joy. And so joy, again, is not just an external thing that's required to come into God's presence. God's not saying, okay, put on your happy face before you come in. But it's something that happens within. within. It's something inside of us that, that moves to the external, right? That, that sort of happens as, as we are gripped by God's presence, this thankfulness. And, and all of these things come in and are transforming who we are. 
And so it's not just requirements of worship, it's fruits of our time with the Lord. That joy begins to just ooze out of us as we spend time with the Lord. And listen, I, we, we have to make sure that, that we understand this is what God is calling us to do. So we are to make joyful noise, serve the Lord with gladness, and come into his presence with singing. So God is inviting us to come, to come into his presence, enter into his presence with singing. Derek Kidner says that where God rules, where God is, there is singing. I don't know if you ever have seen uh, the movie Les Mis. Uh, Hugh Jackman is in it and Russell Crowe. And it's really a beautiful picture of the display of the gospel. And uh, I know there are some tough guys out there that think, man, I don't know that I could sit through that movie. They, they sing the whole time, okay? It's one of those songs. It's one of those movies. They sing every line, nearly every line, okay? Now, I'm not a musical kind of guy. I don't really, I don't like musicals. I just think, just say it. Come on. Nobody is, nobody's that peppy. Nobody, right? Nobody knows all the dance moves and the songs all at once just because of a... a, a uh, pythium that you just had and all of a sudden it's like huh let's sing about it and then where's the music coming from we don't know it's just everybody knows the song and the dance but if you know the story of this movie as you watch this and there are other versions where they don't sing but to me when I watch that movie you have to sing it and the reason is because it does, it, there's something different about saying it and singing it. it, it it's more passionate. There's more emotion because of the, of the forgiveness that was received. And he couldn't help but sing. And so God is inviting us into his presence to sing. That's why we sing. Why do you have singing at church? This is why, Psalm 100, because it is a command. God is commanding his people to sing. Because God loves to hear his people sing. Everyone. God loves to hear his people sing. That's what God is inviting us to do. Now we get to verse 3. Here's another imperative. Know. Know that the Lord, he is God. I believe this is the, the main verb. This is what everything is centered around here. This verse Know that the Lord, he is God. So this is a, both a joyful in, invitation and an urging expression. It's like, know the Lord, he is God. But it's also, you need to make sure you know this God. Because why else do we sing? We have no other reason to sing. Now, I'm sure if we gathered every Sunday morning, we're just going to sing, people would show up. Why? Because they love just to sing. They just love to sing. They love music. They just love to sing. We could get up here, get a band, have some throwbacks, some songs of your childhood, and people would show up and sing. Now, I don't know that I'd be doing that, just to be honest with you. But you give me a reason to sing. You give me a reason to come here early on a Sunday morning and to sing, I will be here to sing. And verse 3 is this. It's the, because he is God, and God wants his people to sing. So no, so this is, this is quite literally the, the main thrust of this psalm, that the Lord, he is God. And so such worship involves acknowledgement of who God is. 
This, this command, this enthusiasm to come and to sing in His presence demands us to know who we're singing to. So we are to know the Lord. We are to know God, that He is God. And so as we look at this, it's, it's not just merely an intellectual knowledge, that word know. It's not just a head knowledge, but it's more, it's more than that. It's also a, an obedience to follow and submit to his Lord. In, in, in the Hebrew, it's actually, there's no division between the knowledge and the action, the thoughts and, and, and the, the verb that God is, is wanting us to know him in obedience. And so here's what it says, Hosea, and, and the reason I'll show you this, we see it in Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let no one accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. What he's saying is there's no obedience because no one knows the Lord. And so God is not just saying know him like, oh yeah, I know God. Know the stories. I know the verses. I memorize them and all those things. I know God. But God is saying no is an action as well. And that is to follow him in obedience and to trust in him and to live for him and submit to him. And so I want to ask you the question as you are saying that you know the Lord, are you following him? Are you submitting to him? Is there areas in your life that you're saying yes to and then other areas you're saying no to. God is inviting us to come and to worship him, but he's inviting us to invite to worship him as obedient children. Submit, submitting to the Lord. I'm just going to, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this with one of your children before. And they just come up to you and they're like, I'm sorry, I love you. I'm sorry, I love you. But nothing ever changes, right? They never change their action, but it's just more of a, like, I'm sorry, I love you. And, and sometimes we look at them and say, listen, I'm thankful that you love me, and I'm, I'm glad that you're sorry, but we just want you to do what we ask you to do. And so there comes a time when you come in, and you're, you're in here Sunday after Sunday, you're singing the praises to the Lord, you're going to life group, and you're telling your testimony how God is being faithful you're bragging about Jesus. You're sharing posts on social media that Jesus is the only one for you and all this stuff. And you're making much of Jesus, but Jesus is saying, that's great, but I really want you just to listen to me. I want you just to obey me. I just want you to follow me, and then you can worship me. So obedience is greater than sacrifice we see in the Old Testament. Next, we see verse 4. The next thing God is calling us to do. What is he calling us to do? Is to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So this is so important. The invitation is still there for the whole world at this particular. But the only way that we can enter into his gates is an understanding that Jesus is our shepherd. 
that he has brought us into the covenant. That's the only way that we can enter into his gates. So if you go back to the Old Testament and you understand this idea that there was this temple and the Holy of Holies was in the back part of the temple and only the high priest was allowed to go into the temple. He was the only one allowed and he had to make sure that he was clean. And when he went in, he had to go in and if he was not clean, he would die in the presence of God. And now there is an invitation we see to come into his courts, to come into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Derek Kinder says about this, the simplicity of this invitation may conceal the wonder of it because it is a very simple invitation. He says, for the courts are truly his, not ours, and his gates are shut to the unclean. We see that in Revelation 21. The gates are closed to the unbeliever. Yet not only his outer courts, but the Holy of Holies itself are thrown open by the new and living way, and and we are welcome. This in itself is cause enough for praise. for, For a long time, we could not enter into the presence of God. But when Christ saves you, when Christ redeems you, he throws open the gates and says, you are welcome into my presence again. This is, the, this is the, the message of the gospel. This is everything that we preach and teach and proclaim that, that we as sinners are shut out of the presence of God. We are separated. We are enemies of God. But because Christ came to this earth, he lived a sinless life. And when he went to the cross, he died on the cross for our sins because that's what sins will bring about is death. And someone has to pay for the penalties and the price that we send against the holy God because God is just and and a good judge and he does not let sin go unpunished. So someone has to be punished for the sins. So Jesus on the cross took the payment and the penalty of our sin for our punishment. He died on the cross and rose from the grave, so which means he was victorious. It it worked. The transaction was complete. The the penalty was paid so that you and I can be called sons and daughters of God, that we can be brought into the family of God. So this, this enough is reason to praise. When you begin to think about what Christ has done for us, when you begin to think about we should not be here this morning, when you begin to think about that we should not be able to talk to God or pray to God or read his word, Because without Jesus, none of this would have been possible. And we begin to think about that. We begin to think about who we were and where we might be today and where we were headed on the path that we were headed. But God brought us out of that. Not that we're perfect, but he's perfect. And now we serve a God and that should move us to passion and praise and worship. You see, I cannot preach like this. Today we're going to be preaching out of God's word. Amen. I can't do it because there's something that just has changed my life, that this is real, this is true, and that God is giving us the power and the the ability to worship him. Sort of this act of breathing in and breathing out the praise of God. So next we see the next imperative. We see in verse 4, the the second part of verse 4, give thanks to him. You see, worship is about him. Yeah, we get to enjoy 
being and singing and the music. We get to enjoy seeing the, 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 the faces of children when, when you have done something. or You get the joy of the benefits of doing all these things as you serve the church, as you serve the Lord. But really, at the end of the day, it's all about Him. The reason you serve, the reason you help, the reason you uh, open the doors and greet folks in the morning is all about Him. It's about Him. And so we are to give thanks to Him. It's an attitude of thankfulness that God is wanting us, that we are to come and to thank the Lord for everything. And sometimes we can get in the habit of, of finding everything wrong, can we not? You, just, you can just go about the, the day, and it just seems like everything in your life is like you get in the truck and the seat's broken, right? Like the radio, you can't find the right radio, or there are no good songs. I mean, you're just complaining about every, absolutely everything. But we're waking up, and the very first thoughts on our mind is to thank God for everything that he's blessed us with. We're to think up, wake up and say, God, thank you for another day. God, God, thank you that I have the ability to get out of my bed. God, thank you that I have the ability to move in this way. God, thank you that I have the ability to think. I have my mind this morning. I, have, I, 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 can, I can speak. My family is, is right here with me this morning. And we just begin to go through a list. I'm just going to tell you, that list is going to get long and long and long. If you just begin to name all the things that God has blessed you with, rather than looking at all the things that you don't have yet, things that you think that you may deserve, the vacations that you long for, the things, the house, the car, the clothes, whatever it is that you're longing for and wishing for, God has given us enough to praise him. You see, God could just say, you know what, I'm not going to bless you with anything. I'm God, and you're going to follow me and worship me because I'm God. And he would be right and just to do that. But that's not who he is. So God is calling us to give thanks to him. We are to bless his name, we see in verse 4. To bless his name. The invitation is still for everyone to come with a song of praise, but come in with confession. Bless his name. This is his name. We're blessing the name of the Lord. So as the invitation is to all of the earth, as, as non-believers are coming in, they must confess. Just as Rahab was outside of the camp, and she made the confession that God is the Lord. And that she was able to be, she was brought into the camp. She was brought into the people of Israel, the family of Israel, the family of God from outside. God is inviting us, but if we're going to sing praises, we must confess that he is Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. So lastly, as we look, who is it that we're to serve? And I know we've sort of hit it. But I want to look at this reasoning of why we can serve the Lord, why we're to serve the Lord. We are to serve the Lord, the one true God. So the reasoning of our worship, this is sort of the why. And as you look, the Lord is the object of every verb. The Lord is, is the one that is receiving the praise. It's the Lord. Yahweh is what that's translated in Hebrew. 
So let's look at, let's, let's look at some of the things here. We see who the Lord is. Number, number one, we see in verse three that he is God. This is so important because as you are singing praises to God, as you're serving him and committing to serve him, maybe in some capacity this fall, you're saying, I want to serve the Lord in a greater way. When you serve and you sing praises and you worship God, you are doing something very controversial in our culture. Because you are making the claim and the proclamation that he is the one true God. There are no other gods. And so that's, that's so important that when we sing of these praises that we know who he is, we're making claims that Jesus is the only God. That is very controversial. That's not very popular because we, wanna, we want everyone to be accepted. We don't want to push we don't want to run anyone down we don't want to tell them that they're not right we don't want to tell them that they're wrong so we don't have the right the only problem is Jesus does not teach that Jesus teaches that he is the way the truth and life no one comes to the father except through him so that is what we believe that is when we embrace and we're singing praises to God we're singing and declaring that he is the one true God so this is sort of a going back to what Israel's proclamation in Deuteronomy 6, that uh, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is it. There's no other, no other gods because God alone is God. So as we're singing praises, as you're thinking, why should I serve the Lord? Because he is God. There's no one greater that deserves our praise. There's no one greater. No one more worthy this is the song we sang, Is He Worthy? And He is. We also see, number two, that He is uh, our Creator. It is He who made us. God created you and I, so therefore we should worship Him. We should sing praises to Him. It's He who is uh, our Creator. So this is not just in the idea of the, the beginning of creation, but it's also God's responding to the act of the covenant that He had with Abraham. This, this text here is, is post-exilic uh, um, history. This is after the exile. This is after coming out of Egypt. And God is continuing His promise that He fulfilled to Abraham. That this is something that God is saying, I have brought you. He has made us his people. He didn't show up this morning saying, I, I'm here and, and there, God should be glad to have me. Now, yes, and he is glad to have you, but you would not be here unless he made a way. It is God that has brought you into his family. It's the Lord's action working among the nations, redeeming his people from their sin. So God has made a way. He's our creator and the creator of the covenant. Next we see in verse 3 that he is our shepherd. He protects and he guides and he provides. The Lord is our shepherd. That's what our lesson is. If you are teaching through the gospel project, Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd. It's a reason to worship and to praise him that he cares and provides for us. He's not just a... a, a a dictator who's just telling us and demanding of us, but he is the one who himself is protecting us and guiding us and providing for us. That we are his sheep. We need him. We are dependent upon the Lord. Next, we see a reason of who God is. God, for the Lord, is good. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. We see God is all-powerful and good. 
This is a reason to sing praises to the Lord because he is full of generosity. Our God is a good God. And listen, it's there in the Old Testament and it's there in the New Testament because all of this is God is redeeming us, saving us, working in us so that we could enjoy him. He is a good master. I don't know if you are happy with where you are working. Maybe you've had a job in the past and you just you had no desire working for the boss that you worked for. Many of you said, you know what, I'm tired of working for people. I'm going to go out on my own and be my own boss because I am tired of working under them. But you see, God wants us to want to be under him. There should be no reason for us to look anywhere else because there's no other master like him. He does not treat us unfairly or poorly, but he takes care of us. So the Lord is good. And we also see in verse 5, for his steadfast love endures forever. J.R. Packer says that God's love is an exercise of his goodness. The Bible means by God's goodness, his cosmic generosity. And of this goodness, God's love is the supreme and most glorious manifestation. God's love is an exercise of his goodness towards sinners whose nature is corrupt in God's sight who merit only condemnation and final banishment from his presence. It is staggering that God should love sinners, yet it is true. God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners. It is not a a vague, diffused goodwill toward everyone in general, and no one is particular, but its nature is to particularize both its objects and its effects. Listen to this. God's love to sinners was expressed by the gift of his Son to be their Savior. The measure of love is how much it gives. And the measure of the love of God is the gift of his only son. The New Testament writers constantly point to the cross of Christ as the crowning proof of the reality of and the boundlessness of God's love. So if we were to measure love by how much you give, there's no greater love than God. Who gave himself willingly on a cross. So maybe you're this morning and you're just, you, you, you're having a hard time. The enemy maybe is clouding your view of God. And you're having a hard time looking at God and serving him. Know that God is a God of love. And it endures forever. In the last part of this verse, we see in his faithfulness to all generations. Faithfulness. Psalm 36, 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. And God is God and will always be God. God was God to uh, your grandparents and God will be God to your grandchildren. God is faithful. He never changes. This is worthy of our praise. And so as we acknowledge that we are not the Lord of our lives this morning, that the good things that we have are not solely the results of our own efforts, but that God has been very kind to you, been very good to you. And you might say, no, I've worked hard for where I'm at. And there's no doubt about that. You may have worked very hard, but who gave you the breath that you're breathing right now to be able to do that? The very life that you have, the very health that you have, the very position that you have you see you didn't 
decide where you were going to be born. You didn't decide who you were going to be. All of those things are a gift of the Lord. So praising the Lord signifies that he is our refuge. And so when you cry out to the Lord, when you serve him, when you praise him, you are saying, God, you are my refuge. And I put my faith and trust in you. Psalm 95, 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So I want to invite Justin to come as we close this morning. Really, as we look back over this, this psalm, it's one of those passages, really, we could have just got up and read this morning and prayed because of the, the, the great implications of what God is calling us to do. I want to invite you to stand to your feet this morning. And if God is, is calling you to look at the way that you serve and the way that you worship in a greater way, Maybe it is you just need to change your heart. Maybe it is you're serving the Lord and the joy's not there, the gladness is not there. Can I give you some good news? God wants to help you with that. So I want, you, I want to invite you to come into his presence this morning. I want you to worship him, not just in song, but with your whole being. As we worship, God is inviting us to worship with all of ourselves, with all that we are and all that God has created us to be. Let us pray and let's sing. Father, thank you, God, for allowing us to be here this morning. God, as we're singing, who is worthy? God, it's obvious that we are not worthy. And so, Father, we come to you knowing that as we worship you, as we sing to you, proclaim your goodness, there is no other God like you. And how many times do we put other things before you? Do we put our own selves, our own likes and wants and desires before you? God, we've made worship about ourselves made worship about making us feel comfortable, serving about making what we want instead of what you want. God, you are only concerned with, do we truly love you? That's the greatest commandment, Deuteronomy 6, to love the Lord your God. God, the invitation this morning is, is not one of demands, but it's an invitation. And that invitation is just to love you. You want us to love you. You want us to be excited about being with you. You want us to desire you, long for you. So God, here we are as broken people. God, that is our prayer this morning. Sometimes we don't feel that, but we want that. So, God, it is our plea this morning that we could serve you in this way. We serve you with gladness and joy. As we sing, I want to invite you, if God is stirring your heart this morning, the altar is always open that you could come and pray. Let's sing out to the Lord.